Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 7, verses 31 to 37, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 7, verses 31 to 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. The first thing that demands our notice in these verses is the mighty miracle that is here recorded. We read that they brought to our Lord one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and besought him that he could put his hand upon him. At once the petition is granted and the cure is wrought. Speech and hearing are instantaneously given to the man by a word and a touch. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. We see but half the instruction of this passage if we are only regarded as an example of our Lord's divine power. It is such an example, beyond doubt, but it is something more than that. We must look further, deeper, and lower than the surface, and we shall find in the passage precious spiritual truths. Here we are meant to see our Lord's power to heal the spiritually deaf. He can give the chief of sinners a hearing ear. He can make him delight in listening to the very gospel which he once ridiculed and despised. Here also we are meant to see our Lord's power to heal the spiritually dumb. He can teach the hardest of transgressors to call upon God. He can put a new song in the mouth of him whose talk was once only of this world. He can make the vilest of men speak of spiritual things and testify the gospel of the grace of God. When God pours forth his spirit, nothing is impossible. We must never despair of others. We must never regard our own hearts as too bad to be changed. He that healed the deaf and dumb still lives. The cases which society pronounces hopeless are not incurable if they are brought to Christ. The second thing which demands our notice in these verses is the peculiar manner in which our Lord thought good to work the miracle here recorded. We are told that when the deaf and dumb person was brought to Jesus, he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ear and spit and touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. He sighed and then, and not until then, came the words of commanding power, ephaphatha, that is, be opened. There is undoubtedly much that is mysterious in these actions. We know not why they were used. It would have been as easy to our Lord to speak the word and command health to return at once as to do what he here did. His reasons for the course he adopted are not recorded, 
We only know that the result was the same as on other occasions. The man was cured. But there is one simple lesson to be learned from our Lord's conduct on this occasion. The lesson is that Christ was not tied to the use of any one means in doing his works among men. Sometimes he thought fit to work in one way, sometimes in another. His enemies were never able to say that unless he employed certain invariable agency, he could not work at all. We see the same thing going on in the Church of Christ still. We see continual proof that the Lord is not tied to the use of any one means exclusively in conveying grace to the soul. Sometimes he is pleased to work by the word preached publicly, sometimes by the word read privately. Sometimes he awakens people by sickness and affliction, sometimes by the rebukes or counsel of friends. Sometimes he employs means of grace to turn people out of the way of sin. Sometimes he arrests their attention by some providence, without any means of grace at all. He will not have any means of grace made an idol and exalted to the disparagement of other means. He will not have any means despised as useless and neglected as of no value. All are good and valuable. All are in their turn employed for the same great end, the conversion of souls. All are in the hands of him who gives not account for his matters and knows best which to use in each separate case that he heals. The last thing which demands our notice in these verses is the remarkable testimony which was borne by those who saw the miracle here recorded. They said of our Lord, He has done all things well. It is more than probable that those who said these words were little sensible of their full meaning when applied to Christ. Like Caiaphas, they spoke not of themselves, John 11.51. But the truth to which they gave utterance is full of deep and unspeakable comfort and ought to be a daily reminder to all true Christians. Let us remember it as we look back over our past days from the hour of our conversion. Our Lord has done all things well. In the first bringing us out of darkness into his marvelous light, in humbling us and teaching us our weakness, guilt, and folly, in stripping us of our idols and choosing all our portions in placing us where we are and giving us what we have, how well everything has been done. How great the mercy that we have not had our own way. Let us remember as we look forward to the days yet to come. We know not what they may be, or bright or dark, many or few, but we know that we are in the hands of him who does all things well. He will not err in any of his dealings with us. He will take away and give. He will afflict and bereave. He will move and he will settle with perfect wisdom at the right time in the right way. The great shepherd of the sheep makes no mistakes. He leads every lamb of his flock by the right way to the city of habitation. We shall never see the full beauty of these words until the resurrection morning. We shall then look back over our lives and know the meaning of everything that happened from first to last. We shall remember all the way by which we were led and confess that all was done well. The why and the wherefore the causes and the reasons of everything which now perplexes will be clear and plain as the sun at noonday. We shall wonder at our own past blindness and marvel 
that we could ever have doubted our Lord's love. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know even as we are known. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for his glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, do we pray trusting that, if according to God's will, he can turn the hardest heart to him? In like manner, do we pray for ourselves believing that the power of the Holy Spirit can grant deliverance and strength to be more like Christ? Second, do we believe God can only work in one way or another? Maybe he worked in a particular way in our lives, but do we expect it has to be the same in others, or else it's not of God? And third, as we look back on our lives, can we say in faith that God has done all things well? As we think about the unknown future, is there comfort knowing that the God who has ordained whatever may come will do it well? that in truth he makes no mistakes.